Once again, 1 Thessalonians 4, we're going to read from 13 down through 18 responsively. I'll begin in 13 and we'll begin together in 14, reading that pattern down through verse 18. The Bible says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Together, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Verse 18 Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Let's look at this sermon title today in our series, His Coming. Let's talk about the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church. Let's pray. Lord, as we look and do a Bible study today on this topic, do our very best to understand it. Would you give us great wisdom and discretion to understand the passages? But Lord, beyond that, we pray that you would help us to make decisions to live our lives constantly ready for the rapture as though it were going to happen today. If there's one here, Lord, that has not put their faith and trust alone in you for salvation, may today be the day they do that so that if the rapture takes place today or very soon, they would be ready. And Lord, if there's one here that has not put their faith and trust in you, help them to do that. For those of us that have, help us to live our lives ready for your return at any moment. Be with us now. Bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There are certain events recorded in the Bible that are just spectacular. I mean events that are miraculous, events that uh, if you could have witnessed them would just absolutely take your breath away. I hope when we get to heaven that there is a theater of sorts where these events uh, will be replayed for all of us uh, to be able to behold and see. It's one thing to read about it in Scripture. It's one thing for Hollywood to make some version of it for us to see. But it's a whole other thing for us to be able to see what actually happened. And I hope we'll get to be able to do that. But here's some events in the Bible that were just spectacular. These already took place. We have uh, the giant flood where only Noah and his family survived. Imagine seeing the water come down and come from above and below and Folks had never even seen rain before, and before you know it, even the highest mountaintop was underwater, and the only ones that survived was Noah and his family. There's the story of the parting of the Red Sea, and uh, the, uh, the, the water being struck, uh, rather the Moses holding up his rod, and uh, God parting the water, and the Israelites walking through on dry ground, only to have the enemies killed uh, uh, behind them, the Egyptian army that was in pursuit of them killed. There's the walls of Jericho not uh, falling over. You remember the story, the Israelites got across uh, the, the, the wilderness there, 40 years they wandered, and then God said, I want you to walk around the city once a day for six days, and on the seventh day I want you to walk around it seven times. Don't say a word. You need to be quiet. And then on that seventh day, you walk around it seven times. And then I want you to uh, uh, shout and blow a trumpet and just watch. And I'm going to knock the walls down. And the Israelites did not question the tactical explanation of, of, of Joshua, no matter how insane it was. And sure enough, they followed orders to a T and the trumpets uh, shout, uh, were blown and the uh, Israelites shouted and the walls came falling over. God knocked down the walls. What a sight to behold. How many of you here grew up watching VeggieTales? Anybody here grew up watching VeggieTales? Josh and the Big Wall. You know what I'm talking about? All right. That's a good independent Baptist reference there. Okay. Um, there's the story of the sun standing still in the sky for a 24-hour period. And uh, just uh, the Israelites in pursuit of the enemy. And Joshua says, hey, I wish we had more daylight. And God just makes the sun stand still in the sky for an entire 24-hour period. You say, Pastor Lejeune, these sound like a bunch of fairy tales. Now, how do you know these things to be true? Listen, if God can make everything out of nothing, then God can bend the laws of physics and chemistry. God can do whatever He wants. And the Bible has recorded these miracles of God just being God. God being greater 
within us. God uh, not being bound by any of the things that bind us or limit us. God is not bound. Uh, he can do as He pleases. I would have loved to have been there uh, on the uh, shore of the Mediterranean, throwing a line in the water, only to see a giant fish of a whale come swimming up and Jonah go flying out of the mouth of that fish. I, I view him as doing this in the air and he hit the ground and he just kept on running on into Nineveh. Boy, that must have been a sight to behold. Nineveh come flying out of that fish's mouth and onto the shore and, and on into Nineveh he went to preach for the Lord. And uh, then you fast forward to the New Testament and Luke chapter 2 tells us about the angels that lit up the night sky. Can you imagine being a shepherd there in the field and all of a sudden there's one angel who says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. And the Bible goes on and says that suddenly there were with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace goodwill toward men. What a sight that must have been to see the angels fill up the sky and uh, to see uh, to see the celebration there of the Christ child being born. It must have been neat to be there the day that Jesus fed 5,000 men plus the women and children with five simple loaves and two fish. He divided them up and as he kept dividing, the fish continued to be restored and the bread continued to be restored and everyone ate buffet style until they were full and 12 extra bags of food uh, must uh, were recovered. And then we uh, must have been neat to see Jesus casting demons out of people and uh, healing the, the halt and the maimed and the blind and Jesus even raising uh, the dead back to life. Can you imagine you're at a funeral and you're grieving and lo and behold, uh, there's Someone shows up to the funeral and they walk up and they take the hand of the deceased and they're brought back to life. There's a story about three guys who were asked what they would want said at their funeral. And the first guy, he said, well, I guess if they were going to say anything about me, I'd hope they'd say I was a great humanitarian and I did a lot of good for the world. And the second guy said, well, at my funeral, I hope that they go on and talk about how I was good to my wife and good to my kids and I was a good family man. The third man thought for a minute and he said, I hope what they say at my funeral is, I think I saw a move. Jesus would make dead people move at funerals. He'd bring them back to life. And what, that must have been amazing to see. You're talking about crashing weddings. Jesus would crash funerals, and what a wonderful thing would happen. And then, if that was all of those things are not spectacular enough, Jesus did something that's never been done in all of humanity. He died on a cross, and then he rose back up from the dead. His tomb is empty. That's amazing. Jesus had raised other people back to life. And even if you go into the Old Testament, there were prophets that raised people back to life. But no one had ever raised themselves back to life. And uh, listen, God the Father was involved. And God the Holy Spirit was involved. And God the Son was involved. All three parts of the Trinity were involved in the resurrection of the Savior. The Bible is filled with a history, a record of history of just spectacular events littered all across the calendar of the past. And listen, uh, above all that, there is yet one more spectacular event on the calendar that is coming. And I believe it is coming very soon. And that event that will take place that is just as spectacular as most of the rest of these things we've described is the rapture. The rapture. Now, the term rapture is not found anywhere in the Bible. You can't find the word rapture in the Bible, but the concept of the rapture is found. We read about it there in 1 Thessalonians 4, and it is the idea of being caught away. In fact, the word rapture means catching away, catching away. The very next event on the biblical calendar uh, is for God to bring the church era to a close by sending Jesus to the clouds to go get his bride and bring the bride, bring the church to heaven. And as we will see in scripture here shortly, the rapture of the church is imminent. That means that it could happen at any moment. Um, it could literally happen today and it could possibly even happen before this church service 
comes to a close. And uh, we don't know when the rapture is coming, but lo and behold, it is coming. First, the Bible says a trumpet will be blown by an angel. Then Jesus will shout from the clouds, and those that have put their faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation, those who have called upon the name of the Lord, those who have believed in Christ alone, will be uh, they will take a trip that will last a fraction of a second, and they will be taken straight to heaven. Millions of people will go missing from planet earth all at once as they will be taken straight to heaven. Now, while it will be a joyous occasion for the saved, because we'll be out of here, right? We'll leave our troubles and sorrows and pains and aches and griefs behind. It's going to be confusion and chaos here on planet earth. Confusion and chaos. Imagine that you have someone saved who's driving a car down the highway with someone lost in the passenger seat. And the rapture happens. That car's traveling 60, 70 miles an hour down the highway. Imagine the horror when the driver's just all of a sudden gone. Imagine you have a pilot in an airplane full of people and the pilot's saved. All of a sudden the pilot's gone. It, just imagine the horror of children who put their faith and trust in Christ and parents go to check on them and parents are not saved and their children are gone. It's going to be joyous in heaven. It's going to be confusion and chaos. Here on earth. By the way, this is my opinion. I want to make sure I state this is my opinion. Have you noticed that in the media news lately, there's a whole lot of talk about aliens? I mean, you've noticed that. And isn't that weird? All these talks about aliens and UFO sightings. Even the military, DOJ is coming out with all of this stuff. This is my theory, okay? I'm going to float out here as my opinion and my theory. This is not in the Bible, all right? If I've given enough disclaimers, all right? Here it is, okay? I think the reason why we're hearing more talk about those things is that there's going to need to be a plausible explanation for where all these people went in the rapture. And boy, it sure is going to be convenient when they pull out all this evidence of UFOs and aliens when all these people go missing. The aliens took them, the UFO sightings, and, and there needs to be some plausible explanation Satan offers. And that's my opinion. That's my theory. I, I can't back that up with Scripture, but I'm left, I'm left to wonder. And millions of people will go mi- missing. Now, Christian, Christianity has been mocked more over this point than any other point in the Bible. Uh, we have been mocked over this, and people laugh at us. That sounds sci-fi. That sounds crazy. That can't be. But be assured that if the Bible promises a catching away of the saints, it is going to take place. It will indeed take place. The Bible has a record of uh, predicting things and all of those things coming to pass. We're right now in the book of Isaiah on Wednesday nights, and uh, the prophet Isaiah predicted King Cyrus to come along and overthrow the Babylonian Empire over a hundred years before it happened. In fact, at the prediction, the Babylonian Empire wasn't even an empire. It was just a little tiny country. He predicted that Babylon would grow into a great country. It would conquer um, Israel and that uh, they would be in captivity. And then Cyrus would come along and he would deliver Israel from captivity over a hundred years before those events took place. Guess what? Lo and behold, Babylon Babylon became a great uh, uh, empire. It overtook Israel. And then Cyrus uh, came along over a hundred years after his name was given in Scripture, and he conquered just as was predicted, just as was stated, and he set God's people free to go back to Jerusalem and begin the process of rebuilding the temple. Uh, Listen, even the life of Jesus is proof that the Bible is uh, perfect at prophecy of the future and things coming to pass. Uh, The Bible told us that Jesus would be a descendant of Abraham. Lo and behold, or the Messiah would be a descendant of Abraham, lo and behold, Jesus was a descendant of Abraham. Then God promised to send the Messiah through uh, Judah, and Jesus is called the Lion of Judah, as he is a descendant of Judah. God promised to send the Messiah through David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, Jesus calls himself and is biologically true to being the descendant or the son of David. In fact, uh, conservatively, conservatively, please listen to this, um, there are a total of 300 prophecies, maybe more, conservatively 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about who the Messiah would be and what he would do. And Jesus came along and he fulfilled every single prophecy that was predicted in the Old Testament about himself, about uh, about the Messiah. Uh, there are many other evidences that could be offered about the perfect track record of prophesying the future and the future coming to pass. The Bible has a perfect 
track record. So make no mistake, when the Bible says that there's going to be a catching away of the saints and they'll be carried out of here, my friend, uh, you don't have to question it. For certain, Jesus is going to come back and He's going to rapture His church. God has given us work to do while we wait on Him to come back and get us. Alright? Now watch. We're not to watch and twiddle our thumbs. We're not to watch and sit. We're not to watch and just, you know, build our own kingdom. We're to watch and we're to work for the Lord. Right? We're to watch and we're to work for the Lord. If Jesus came back today, would you be excited to see Him or would there be some disappointment in your heart over the way you've been living your life? I know that when I was doing wrong, and my dad would call me in to see him, there was always this fear that he knew. And he was going to call me out on it. There were times where I hadn't done anything wrong. And he called my name in such a way, and fear would, would be struck in my heart and down my legs. Amen. Uh, we call that the powdered bottom syndrome. I heard that somewhere recently, right? And he'd call my name, and he'd say it in such a tone, and I'd go in, and I'd be racking my brain. Did I do something wrong? Did, did, did I do something inadvertently wrong, and I didn't know it? Am I in trouble in some way? How many grew up in a similar way? You know exactly what I'm talking about, okay? Dad would call your name, and you'd come walking in. Oh, boy, I'm about to get it, right? And um, even if... Even if uh, Let's say I had done something wrong in secret, and I didn't think anyone knew but just wondered. There was always that fear that when my dad called me, he was, I was going to be in trouble with him. And listen, God is a gracious God. If the rapture were to happen today, and the very next twinkling of the eye, you were to be standing in the presence of God, would you look at him with a smile on your face or with guilt in your heart over the way you've been living your life? If you could be assured that Jesus was going to come back, and you can't be, you can't be, but if you could be assured Jesus was coming back in the next 48 hours, what would change in your life? What would you confess and forsake? Who would you call to make amends? Who would you witness to in your life that needs the gospel? What debt would you pay off? What sin would you deal with? My friend, I believe that Jesus is coming soon. And it very well could be in our lifetime. It very well could be today. Are you busy doing the work of the Lord out of a heart of devotion and love for the one who created you and saved you from an eternity in hell? Let's look closely at three observations as we consider this title, The Rapture of the Church. If you received a bulletin this morning, on the back of that bulletin is a fill-in-the-blank outline. I would encourage you to fill in the blanks as we go. You can find the blank, the word for the blank, on the screen throughout the message. Number one, notice, promise of the rapture. Promise of the rapture. I want you to stick a bookmark or a piece of paper in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 because we're going to come back there. Turn over to Acts chapter 1 with me. And um, I would really like all of you to look at these passages with me. Please use your Bible. This morning, and I want you to see from Scripture uh, what we're doing here. Now, when I preach a message, I seek to do two things. Every sermon I preach, and, and every, every time I preach and teach, preach or teach, I seek to do two things, okay? Here's my philosophy when it comes to the pulpit or even a lectern in a classroom. All right, I, I, preaching to me, and again, this is just my philosophy. You don't have to agree with it, but I'm the preacher, all right? So here's how you, you can kind of know what I'm, I'm, uh, what I'm trying to accomplish, all right? I believe preaching is aimed at the heart and teaching is aimed at the head. Teaching, the purpose of teaching is to transfer information. The purpose of preaching is to inspire the heart. So in, inform the head, inspire the heart. And so the first half of the message, I'm going to be going at your head. And then the last half of the message, we're going to take what we learn in the head and go at the heart. Preaching is more teaching, or rather, preaching is more about the heart than the head. Teaching is more about the head than the heart. But I'm going to try to do both in the message today. Let's talk about, let's do some teaching this morning. And so uh, get your textbook out or the Bible out, and let's learn from God's Word this morning. So imagine the excitement of having seen the resurrected Jesus 
and being there when he ascended to his Father. Can you imagine that? Uh, Jesus is dead. The disciples are dismayed. They're distraught. They're sad. They're heartbroken. And uh, they're all in hiding, thinking that they're going to be drug out next and beaten and crucified. And all of a sudden, uh, uh, Mary comes running in uh, to the upper room uh, where they're at. And she says, He's alive! He's alive! I saw Him! He's alive! And they say, You're crazy. No, no, no. His tomb is empty. I saw angels there. And Peter and John, they take off running. And uh, uh, John outruns Peter. And John lets us know that in his gospel that he outran Peter. But John, John outruns Peter and he gets there and, and, and John just stands outside and Peter runs past John right there and, and there certainly the tomb is empty, the grave clothes are there, but Jesus is gone and, uh, and, and, and they see him. In fact, the Bible tells us in Acts that he was seen of 500 different people after he rose from the dead and then he went to a mount and he ascended to heaven. And imagine seeing the resurrected Jesus and imagine being there when he just starts to float up off the ground up into the sky and he disappears into the clouds. That must have been amazing. Look at Acts chapter 1, look at verse number 9. The Bible says, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he, he Jesus, was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven, look at this next phrase, shall so come, look here, in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now notice this, that they're standing there and all of a sudden Jesus is giving them his final words of instruction and he just starts lifting up off the ground and they're just watching him rise up and they keep looking. And keep looking, and keep looking, and all of a sudden, he's up in the clouds, and he's gone. And Jesus goes and sits by his Father's right hand, and God the Father, God the Son are in heaven looking down. All these guys are still standing there doing this. And an hour goes by, and they're still doing this. And, and God bumps Jesus and says, are they going to stand there forever? And Jesus says, maybe we should send somebody down and tell them to get busy. And so, uh, hey... Hey, Michael, hey, Gabriel, get in here. All right, now I'm, I'm ad-living here. I don't know exactly how it happened, but, but look, it's, it's in the Greek, all right? And so he says to him, he says, uh, hey, go down there and tell those guys to get, it, get with it. And so these angels go down, and he says to the disciples who are still doing this, he says, hey, guys, hey, 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 look at me. Hey, he's coming back in like manner. Hey, get to work. Get after it. Go do what he told you to do right before he left. I want you to see here that the Bible says in verse 11, shall so come in like manner. How did he leave? He left in the clouds. He's coming back in the clouds. He's going to come back in the clouds. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're done in Acts. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 51. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 51. We're going to read down to verse 53. And again, I want you to see... Uh, these, these passages this morning, even if you've gone to church many years and you're familiar with this doctrine or these verses, still please uh, uh, go through the motions of turning there and uh, reading along with us here. Look at verse 51, 1 Corinthians 15. The Bible says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, uh, I walked into a church nursery when I was 16, and I saw those words on the nursery wall. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. Amen? And uh, that's a great verse for a church nursery. They don't all sleep, but they all need to be changed at some point. Right, Cheryl? Um, in a moment, the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound. Notice that. The trumpet shall sound. Notice the, that verse. And the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Look here. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible shall put on incorruption in this mortal must put on immortality. Now go back over to 1 Thessalonians 4 where we began this morning. You should have put a marker there and so grab the marker and go right back over there. Look with me at verse 13. The Bible says, but I would not have you be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep. Now is he talking about people who are taking a nap? No, he's talking about those who have died and been buried in the ground who are saved. Their bodies are laying dormant and they'll one day be brought back to life as they'll be taken to heaven. Look here, that ye sorrow not. 
even as others which have no hope. I mentioned this, but Friday we had a funeral service here for John Sponsberg, our uh, member of many, many years. And uh, boy, I believe John got baptized here with his wife, Barbara, who's back here today, uh, back in uh, 2005, and just faithfully attended up until COVID. And John came down with cancer. And listen, uh, we uh, went to the graveside over there in Milford and uh, laid his body uh, to rest. But uh, John is in heaven with the Lord. Amen. John was a believer in Jesus. And, and John, John is more alive now than he's ever been. John is not laying in a hospice bed dealing with uh, throat cancer. John is in heaven with the Lord. And I think by now he's all moved into his mansion and got it all wired up the way he wants. Right, Barbara? Got all those lights everywhere. And look at, look at what 1 Thessalonians 4 says. It says, We sorrow not. Uh, look there, it says that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Verse 13. We, we don't sorrow without hope. We sorrow with hope. Yes. We don't sorrow because we wonder where John is. We sorrow because we miss him yes. and we long for him. Look at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are, look here, alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall, look here, hear the details, descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together uh, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Notice 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians reference both a trumpet and a shout that will signify the rapture. Now turn over to Revelation chapter number 4. Turn over to 4. That's important to notice. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4 both mark the rapture with a trumpet being blown and a shout. A shout. A trumpet being blown and a shout. Now Revelations 1 2 and 3, Jesus addresses the church. Seven different churches, but addresses the church. But from chapter 4, verse 1 and on, there is no reference anywhere to the church or the church addressed after chapter 4, verse 1. Now, to be clear, I believe that Revelation was written in chronological order of the events of the end times. And uh, because I believe that, I believe that the rapture happens before the tribulation. You say, Pastor, why do you draw that conclusion? Because the rapture, I believe, takes place in chapter 4, and the great tribulation kicks off in chapter 6. And to put it quite simply, the number 4 comes before the number 6. All right, you with me? And that's why I believe the rapture happens before. Now, look at chapter 4, verse 1. And remember, 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4 share with us the markers of the rapture are the trump being sounded and the shout. Look at chapter 4. Let's see if we can identify those two things. And this, John says, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the verse, first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. So there's the trumpet, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So a trumpet and a shout. Look at verse 2. And immediately, John says, I was in the Spirit. Before a throne uh, was set, before and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne, look here. This is very important. Were four and twenty elders, or, or four and twenty seats. Uh, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. So there's your trumpet in verse 1, and the shout of Jesus calling us to heaven. Verse 4 talks about the 24 elders sitting on the 24 seats around the throne of God. Now, who are sitting on the, who, who are the 24 elders? All right. You have the 12 children of Israel. There's your Old Testament saints. And you have the 12 apostles. Those are your New Testament saints. So these 24 men represent all of those who were saved before the cross and those saved 
after the cross. And in fact, look at Revelation chapter 5. Look at chapter 5 and verse 8. And we see who it is that these 24 elders represent. Look there. And we, verse 8, uh, Revelation 5, verse 8. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. Look here. And they. Who is the they? Well, it's the 24 elders, but as we'll see in just a moment, it's also the people represented by the 24 elders. They sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book or the title deed of earth and to open the seals thereof uh, or those markings, those chapter markings, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood of every, look here, every kindred and tongue and People and nation and has made who? Us. Who is the us? It's every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God of kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. Who is in heaven? Those who've been raptured. The, 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 the trump, the, the shout come up hither and uh, the rapture has taken place and uh, the promise of the rapture. Number two, let's look at the particulars about the rapture, particulars about the rapture. Take your Bibles over to Matthew chapter number 24. Again, we're teaching, we're teaching. We'll get into the preaching here shortly. Look at Matthew chapter 24. Leave your place there in Revelation. We're done there. Matthew 24. Uh, the disciples asked Jesus at the beginning of the chapter, He asked what the signs of the end times would be. Jesus answered their question in a very methodical way. Uh, now, he begins by discussing end times events as they pertain to three different groups of people. Now, watch this. From Genesis 1-1 until the flood, Jesus worked broadly with the nations. You with me? You need to pay attention on purpose right here to understand. I'm building a foundation by which to explain Matthew 24. From the Genesis 1-1 through the flood, Genesis chapter 6... The Lord worked broadly through the nations, the nations. And then in Genesis 12, after the flood, the Lord worked specifically through Abraham and the Jews. So from Abraham until Jesus' arrival on the scene, he works with the Jews. So from Adam to the flood, he worked with who church? He worked with the nations. Who did he work with? Are you awake this morning? Let me hear you. Say it enthusiastically. He worked with? And good. And from Genesis 12, Abraham, up until Jesus' arrival on the scene, he worked through the Jews. Who did he work through? Very good. And then from uh, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus up until the rapture, he is working through the church. Who's he working through? Very good. And so in Matthew 24, the Lord is going to address those three people groups and end-time events as it pertains to those three people groups, the nations, the Jews, and the church. Now from verse 4 down through verse 28, and I would encourage you to just make markings in your Bible and go back and study this on your own. From verse 4 through 28, he addresses end-time events as they pertain to the nations. And then uh, from verse Let's see, from, uh, then he addresses the Jews at the end of the tri tribulation from verse 29 down through verse 35. And so he's talking directly to the Jews, 29 to 35. Lastly, he addresses the church-age saints, which is us, Jew-Gentile alike, church-age saints, from verse 36 through 51, or the end of the chapter. So 36 through 51, he's dealing with the church, all right? And then in tw uh, chapter 25, by the way, you can find him talking to those same three people groups accordingly. The end of the chapter, he speaks to the nations, all right? The beginning of the chapter, he speaks to the Jews. In the middle of the chapter, he is speaking to the church. That's my interpretation of 24 and 25. Let me pause real quick. Time out. Take a time out. All right, everybody look up here. There are good people who disagree with some of what I've taught today, all right? There are good people that attend this church who disagree with what I've taught today, all right? That's fine. In our church doctrinal statement that we've had since 1980, what I'm teaching is what the church has believed, and it is what the church will continue to believe at least as long as I am the pastor. Let me just say, if you're here today and you don't see all of these little details exactly like I do, can I just ask you to show grace, amen? Uh, I get that there are varying opinions and there are strong opinions, but we don't need to 
major on minors, and we don't need to be disagreeable. Uh, we can we can agree. We can let's see. We can disagree agreeably. Amen. We don't want to agree disagreeably. Have you ever seen someone agree disagreeably? Have you ever seen that happen? I came to a stop sign the other day, and I tied someone. And I was trying to be deferential and let them go, and they were trying to be deferential and let me go. And by the time it was all over, we were both pretty frustrated with the other one, right? We were agreeing disagreeably, okay? And so you can agree disagreeably, right? Uh, but uh, we, want, we, don't, we, we want to disagree agreeably. And uh, I believe this is what the Bible teaches, and I'm making my case. And I know I have the loudest voice because I have the, the microphone and the pulpit. But uh, stick with me here. This is how I see Matthew 24 and 25 broken down. And so stick with me and uh, let me do some teaching this morning. And let's let God work in our hearts. And when we get to the preaching part, all of us are going to agree on the broader application. So Matthew 24, 36 through 51, the Lord is teaching about the rapture as it pertains to the church. What does he say about it? All right, letter A, notice it will be a sudden call. It will be a sudden call. Look at Matthew 24. And look at verse number 36. 24, verse number 36. Notice there it says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man. I have that underlined in my Bible. Day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Look down at verse 42. Look at 42. Matthew 24, 42. Watch therefore, look here. For ye know not what hour... Your Lord doth come. Ye know not what hour. If anyone tries to tell you, take, take your Bibles back over to 1 Corinthians 15. Hold your place in Matthew 24. If anyone tries to tell you they know when Jesus is coming back, run the other direction. They do not know, right? Back in 1988, there was a book published as 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. And then at the end of 1988, the publisher put out another book. 89 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1989. All right. No one knows when Jesus is coming back. Uh, Harold Camping was a big deal for a while. And Harold Camping uh, kept forecasting the date Jesus would come back. And I just wondered about Mr. Camping. Did you not read Matthew 24? No man knows the day. No man knows the day. And so, uh, listen, we don't know when he's coming back. His return is imminent. That means he could come at any time. Time, at any time. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. It will be a sudden call. 51, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Look at 52. Read it with me. Ready? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Notice there, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. How fast can you blink your eye? A bunch of you just winked at me, all right? Okay, i got a wife, ladies. Don't wink at me. Amen? Um, how fast can you blink? Pretty quick, right? Um, that's how quick you're going to go from earth to heaven. It's going to be fast. You're going to be going about your business one day, and all of a sudden you're just going to be in the middle of something, and then you're going to be standing in heaven. Now, that's not just some sensational talk, preacher talk. That's what the Bible says. It's going to happen in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be here, and then we're going to be gone. It's going to be sudden. Jesus did give us some indication, though, of how the world will be when the rapture takes place. Go back to Matthew 24. Notice letter B, a sinful culture. A sinful culture. Look at verse number 37. And Paul would expound on this in 1 Timothy and talk about in the last days men would be lovers of their own selves, uh, boasters, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, disobedient. And I think we can see all those markers more so than ever in our culture today. But Jesus gives a teaching in Matthew 24. Look at verse 37. Jesus says, But as the days of Noah, or Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were, look here, eating and drinking, marrying and giving a marriage, until the day that Noah, in, Noah, entered, Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. While I uh, explain here, take your Bibles to Genesis 6. Again, Matthew 24, hold on to that spot. Genesis 6. 
many people get discouraged by how wicked our world is. Have you ever been discouraged by how wicked our world is? I was listening to a podcast last night by a, a, a preacher who uh, uh, lives in Zambia, from America, lives in Zambia, and uh, he comes over to the U.S. a couple of times a year. And uh, he was asked on the podcast, he was asked uh, if he can tell uh, the, the downward slide into immorality that America was, is on. He said, yeah, he said, I, I come back a couple of times a year. He said, I've been gone since 2015. And he said, I can see the downward slope. He said, every time I come back, it's just a little bit worse. He said, I was sitting in a restaurant having dinner with some friends, and there was a football game on. He said, I don't get to lot, watch a lot of football. He said, so I'm that guy at the table who keeps looking up at the game uh, during, uh, during dinner. And he said, I looked up, and there was a commercial on TV, and he said, my jaw hit the floor. He said, I couldn't believe what I was seeing, the depravity and wickedness on the screen. And he said, my friends were like, yeah, that's become commonplace. That kind of thing has become commonplace. And uh, listen, uh, we are living in a time where wickedness is celebrated as righteousness. It used to be that, that if you were living in a relationship and having premarital sex, you didn't tell anyone because you were ashamed. Now if you tell people you're a virgin before you get married, they act like you should be ashamed of that. Well, things are backwards. It, it used to be that uh, if you skipped church on Sunday to go to work, you were looked at as some sort of heathen. Today, if you go to church instead of going shopping or going to work or cutting your grass, you're looked at as you're one of those religious loons. Good is called bad. Bad is called good. We live in a time where everything is upside down. Look at Genesis 6. How was it back in Noah's day? The Lord told us that uh, the return, the rapture would happen when uh, we reached the depravity and iniquity of Noah's era. Look at Genesis 6, 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air. Look here, this is sad. For it repenteth me. I regret that I have made them. Then we get to verse 8. Look at verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Throw a little Bible nugget out here for you Bible nerds. You ready? You notice how Eli was raptured before the flood? I think that's a sign that the church is going to be raptured before the tribulation. Just thought I'd throw that out there for you. Thought, thought that was pretty neat. Those who found grace and are in Christ will be spared that great wrath that God pours out on this earth during those seven horrible years. I just want to encourage you today, those of you listening to me, make sure your salvation is sure. Make sure your salvation is sure. Let me ask a question. If Jesus came back right now, would you be left sitting in this room? That would be awkward. That would be embarrassing. Your husband or wife thinks that you're saved. Your mom and dad think that you're saved. The deacons think that you're saved. But deep down inside, you know that it's just all a game. When Jesus comes back. I just have to say, if Jesus came back today, my gut tells me there would be 15 to 20 of you left sitting in this room. Some of you have your name on our church's membership roll. I'm not trying to scare anybody this morning, and I'm not trying to make anyone question or doubt their salvation. If you believed in Jesus alone to be your Savior, you gave Him your heart, you believe, then you are, you, you, you'll be taken out of here. But if you're here today, and you've never put your faith in Jesus and what He did on the cross to save you, you're going to be left sitting in this room. You'd be quite ashamed that you didn't make that choice. 
Don't leave this room today without believing. You say, well, can I get saved after the rapture? Again, I'll give you my opinion. There's varying opinions on this in this room too. My opinion is that, yes, you will be able to get saved after the rapture. You're going to have to live in a world filled with horror and pain of God's wrath being poured out. And it's not going to be enjoyable. Being a Christian will become very unpopular very quick. You don't want to miss out on the rapture. You say, Pastor, I don't know what you're talking about, but I can see that it's intense and serious. Listen, I don't want to bore you with preacher talk, so I'll just cut straight to the chase. Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that He came to this earth, lived a perfect life as God on the earth, God wrapped in flesh. And they took Him because they hated Him, and they nailed Him up on an old rugged cross, and He died on that cross. Why did Jesus come and die? That's the million-dollar question. Why did He come and die? The answer is, He came and died for you and me. You see, He came, and God in heaven took your sin, your immoral deeds, your trespasses, your iniquities, all of the moral laws in the Bible that you've broken. God took those and placed them on Jesus, and He went through hell so that you don't have to go there. How do you get to heaven? Really, it's just very simple. You have to humble your heart, and you have to believe. I'll share quickly an illustration I shared in my life group this morning. I'm sure I've shared it in church at some point, but for those of you that need to hear this, boy, it'll really help that light bulb come on. There's a story about Theodore Roosevelt. He was leading the Rough Riders in the Spanish-American War down in Cuba. And... um, General, General Roosevelt, his soldiers were weary and tired. Uh, They were hungry. Some of them were wounded. Right on the other side of the hill was Clara Barton and the American Red Cross. And he, Mr. Roosevelt, mounted his horse and he rode over there and he walks up to the table under the tent and he pulls out a big wad of cash out of his pocket and he slaps it down on the table and he says, I need these supplies, I need this food, I need these medical needs, I need this water. He said, this should be enough to pay for it. And the lady, sitting behind the counter, she said, "Uh, Sir, um, uh, these supplies aren't for sale. And Mr. Roosevelt got all indignant and he said, Are you saying my money's no good here? That should be plenty of money. I need these supplies. I've got soldiers who are wounded and tired and hungry and weary. Please, get me the supplies. And he just gets all hot under the collar. He gets to a place where he can't be spoken to. And then he demands, he says, Let me see the person in charge here. And so the young lady very meekly gets up and goes over and gets Miss Clara Barton. And Clara comes over. And stands there at the table and looks at Mr. Roosevelt. And Mr. Roosevelt just lays out his complaint. And when he gets done, she looks at him and says, Are you finished? And he says, I guess I am. And she smiles at him and she says, Mr. Roosevelt, the supplies are free. They've already been paid for. Put your money in your pocket. Humbly ask the lady for the supplies and we'll load up your horse and off you can go. And Mr. Roosevelt goes, oh. He puts his money away. He asks for the supplies and off he went. God does not want your good works, your good behavior, your religion. He doesn't care whether you were born Catholic or Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or Mormon or Muslim or Hindu. He doesn't care. He wants you to humble your heart and ask Him for the gift of salvation He purchased when He died on the cross. And if you will do that, you can be guaranteed heaven. And if the rapture happens in your lifetime, you can be guaranteed a quick exit up there. We see a sinful culture. Letter C, we see a sorrowful counterfeit. A sorrowful counterfeit. Matthew chapter 24, look at verse 40. Then shall be, then shall two be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. What a depiction. Two men out, two farmers out working in a field side by side. 
picking strawberries or harvesting peaches or apples. And as one man reaches up to grab an apple off the tree, he looks over for his buddy the next tree over, and there's a pile of clothes on the ground, but he's not there anymore. Two women working at a mill or in a kitchen, and uh, they're, 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 they're making bread or uh, they're fixing a dinner, and uh, the one woman looks over for her friend, and she's gone. Looks all, all around the house. Can't be found. Can you imagine what that will be like? Those who've played games of their salvation will be left behind. Their friend gone to heaven. They're left standing there all alone. What if the rapture were to happen during the church service today? I sure hope you'll be taken and not left behind. Jesus tells, tells a parable about a, a, a thief who goes in and sows tares amongst wheat and the tares and the wheat grow up together and they look exactly the same one is uh, got wheat inside and the other is just got chaff and is no good in the final judgment god will separate the wheat from the tares you you may have everyone else here fooled about your salvation but god knows your heart you cannot fool him don't wait call on the name of the lord and believe before you get left behind. Letter D, we see a slothful Christian. A slothful Christian. Look at Matthew 24, look at verse 42. The Bible says, Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up or broken into. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Then there are those who will indeed be raptured, but will be ashamed to see the Lord. We're going to talk about this more in depth next Sunday morning. The illustration here is given of a steward or servant who is left in charge of the master's home while he is away. When the master returns, does he find his affairs in order or neglected? Let me ask you a question, Christian. Are you busy building God's kingdom or are you busy building your kingdom? Are you busy running the hamster wheel of life, making it through another day? Or are you busy looking after what God has you to do? Angel, come here a minute. One day, me and my wife here, we're going to stand before God together. We're going to give an account for Matthew and April. God's going to ask us what we did to steward our children. Thank you. And then Angela will leave, and I'll give an account to God on how well I stewarded her. And then I'll give an account to God for how I stewarded White Oak Baptist Church. You're in here today, and you are a, a mom a business owner, an employee. You're going to give an account to God one day for how you manage those things He gave you. How you managed your silver and gold. How well you supported the mission of the church, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is He going to come back and find you faithful? Or is He going to come back and find your metaphorical house in ruins? We see this morning out of this passage, we see that the rapture is yet just a breath away and could happen at any time. We see a sudden call, a sinful culture, a sorrowful counterfeit, and a slothful Christian. When I ask you a question this morning, I want you to ask yourself this question, am I slothful about the work of the Lord? Am I lazy? 
Am I busy, too busy doing my work for myself to build my kingdom, to have my nice things and my big bank accounts? There's nothing wrong with having those things as long as the work of the Lord that He's called you to does not suffer in the process. Number three, and lastly, notice preparation for the rapture. Preparation for the rapture. Let's finish the sermon where we began this morning back in 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. Now we began by reading verse 13 through 18. These words are comforting and they're the most popular verses of the chapter. In fact, I've never sat down to actively memorize them, but because I have read them so many times at funerals and because I have read them so many times to hurting hearts, I pretty much have them memorized. That's how familiar I am with those verses. But if I were to make a confession to you today, I'm not as familiar with the verses that precede it. Can I tell you the verses that precede verse 13 are as or more important than verse 13? Because they tell us how to be prepared when Jesus comes back. Here's a point. Here's a point of the sermon everyone in here who's saved can agree with. Everyone can agree with, all right? Letter A, let's talk about this. Are you prepared? Let's see what God's Word says. Let's talk about our lifestyle of holiness. Our lifestyle of holiness. Look at verse number 3. Look here. I want everyone to read along, all right? For this is the will of God. Underline that. For this is the will of God. If you mark in your Bibles, underline that. Even your sanctification. Look here. How do we, how are we sanctified? That's a big, fancy, $100 theological term. How are we sanctified? Well, the Bible is very clear here. Look here. That ye should abstain from fornication. You know what fornication is, right? It's sexual sins. God gave us sex. It's a beautiful thing inside of marriage. It's a very ugly thing outside of marriage. It is selfishness. It is self-centeredness. And it leads to hurt, pain, and destruction when we're involved in it outside of marriage. It says there that if you are sanctified, you're living the will of God, the purpose of God, the desire of God, and you are to abstain from fornication. Look here that it says that every one of you should know how to, and I have this underlined in my Bible as well, possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man, no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Pay your debts. Pay your bills on time. Be honest. When you give your word, keep it. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. Read verse 7 with me. Ready? For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. I have watched in my life as the independent Baptist movement has risen and fallen. And uh, by and large, independent Baptist churches like this one are not doing so great at the moment. And then I watched uh, as uh, uh, the Assembly of God Church rose and sort of as uh, hit their climax and come down. And then I watched as the contemporary Christian movement has risen and now is on a sharp decline. And listen, one of the areas where the independent Baptists got it wrong is that we took things that weren't holiness and we turned them into holiness. But an area where the contemporary movement has got it wrong is they've just taken holiness and just chucked it out the window as though it doesn't matter. And can I tell you, personal holiness is in the New Testament. God does not want us to live like, look like, act like, and behave like the world. He's called us to separate from in our lifestyle. You should not talk like the world, dress like the world, act like the world, listen to the music of the world, be entertained by the world. Christian, one day Jesus is coming back and He wants us to be a peculiar people. Not my word, God's word. He's called us to live a life of holiness, not only out in front of everybody, but in private when no one's watching you. What you watch on TV, what you look at on TikTok or Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat, these platforms, these social media platforms should be used to edify us and complement our growth in the Lord, not pull us down and have us worshiping at the altar of the culture of the world. Not only should our music be holy, but our speech should be graced with holiness. Our entertainment habits should be wholesome and Christ-honoring. And our sexuality should be Christ-honoring. 
you were raptured today, would you be able to say that you had possessed your vessel with sanctification and honor? Are you living a lifestyle of holiness? Let her be noticed. Our love for the brethren. Our love for the brethren. Look at verse number 8. I'm not trying to offend anyone here today. I'm trying to herald truth. Boy, the world sure is good at selling, marketing, and shouting their wickedness, shouting their unholiness, and celebrating filthiness. And sometimes we need a preacher with a backbone to stand up and say, Thus saith the Lord. And if it hurts your feelings, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but maybe you need someone to grab you by the collar and say, Wake up and live right. Wake up and do right. Wake up and be better. Wake up and honor God with your life. Our love for the brethren. I'm doing this out of love. Amen. Tough love. Look at verse 8. It says, He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man but God. Look here. Who hath also given us His Holy Spirit. Say amen if you're thankful for the Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God how to love one another. How do I handle that cantankerous, hard-to-get-along-with person? Ask the Spirit of God. He'll teach you. And indeed, you do it uh, toward all the brethren. Not just the ones that have, you know, a lot in common with you. All the brethren. All the brethren. Even that one that annoys you. Even that one that, uh, that might, uh, you know, distract you in church. Even that one that doesn't shower or deodorize. Even that one whose baby uh, bit your baby in the nursery. Amen? Even that one whose child hit your child in the face. Yeah, that especially that one. Amen? Even that one who uh, offended you and hurt your feelings. That's the one you need to love. All. Notice all. All means all and that's all all means. Right? And so we're to love all the brethren, all the brethren, and the Lord will teach you how to do that. Amen? Uh, look, at, it goes on to say, which are all in Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye, look here, increase more and more. Increase more and more. Our love for the brethren ought to be increasing more and more as we get close to the rapture. God ought to find us trending up in our display of love toward God. Yesterday I came here uh, to be a part of our Great Commission Saturday. And I'm just a cog in the wheel on a Saturday morning. There are so many people that work so hard to make Saturday morning work. In fact, here I want to do this real quick. If you have been involved with our Great Commission Saturday at any point this quarter, would you just stand up for me? If you've been involved in that, you've gone out and made a visit, you've been here on the property or helped out anyway, would you just stand for me, please? And there's many out of the service serving in other areas uh, that, that uh, have been involved. Teenagers, if you've been involved, stand up. Yeah, go ahead. We have our teenagers involved. We have children involved. Hey, these people are coming out on Saturday morning. There's others that aren't in the service. Stay standing. Stay standing. pastor's wife doesn't like attention. You want to come up here and help me with the sermon again? Okay. Um, let's give these folks a round of applause. Can we do that? You can be seated. They're, they're taking the, the, the command of the commission serious. Now, I know some of you can't come on Saturday because you're working. And you take gospel tracts and you distribute those around the community and you're doing your part too. And to that I say thank you, all right? You don't have to come on Saturdays to be obedient. You can be obedient other times, but that's the time our church plans and offers uh, you to be able to do that. And I'm very thankful for all of you who helped get the word out about the gospel of Jesus Christ in our church. You know, I, I was here yesterday morning and, and I got in my car to go out and make some visits. I got in the car with Brother Tom to go make some visits and my heart was just overflowing with love for the brethren. Seeing, uh, uh, being shoulder to shoulder and in the thick of things, doing the work of God. I sure hope when the rapture happens, I'm out making a visit for the church, not in the middle of yelling at my wife. Amen? Amen? All right. I hope when Jesus comes back, uh, He finds me maybe uh, attending church, uh, reading my Bible and praying, doing something. Wouldn't it be great if you're in the middle of praying over the Word of God and all of a sudden, boom, you're raptured up to heaven? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Instead of, you know, like uh, playing Candy Crush at work when you're supposed to be working, right? And you're standing there in front of God, you got Candy Crush on your phone. You probably won't have your phone. You stand there and, oh, busted, right? <laughs> Caught. And uh, I want the Lord to catch me doing the work, loving the brethren more and more. Can I ask you this? Is your heart warmer toward the people? What? I really want you to listen. Is your heart warmer toward the people 
at church than it was six months ago, a year ago, two years ago? Or have you grown callous and indifferent toward your brothers and sisters at church? Our love ought to be increasing more and more the closer we get to the return of Jesus. Let her see. Lastly, we see our labor for the Lord. Our labor for the Lord. Look at verse 11 and 12. I used to use this verse a lot when I was a Christian school teacher. And that you, this is a good study hall verse, all right? And that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we command you. I probably took that out of context, Miss Pam, when I'd use that in school, but I used it all the same, amen? All right, verse 12, that ye, walk, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may have lack of nothing. Paul tells the church of Thessalonica, he says, don't be busybodies. Don't be busybodies. Uh, don't be running around preoccupied with everyone else's business and problems. He said this, get busy running your own race. Work with your own hands. Do the work that I have left you to do. He then concludes in verse 12 that we walk honestly toward them that are without. You know what that means? That means we never give the lost any reason to defame our God based on poor behavior. I heard of a Christian once, or a man who claimed to be a Christian, his boss fired him. and uh, He would not hire anyone who is a, a zealous Christian or an active, uh, uh, outspoken Christian. He said, I hired a Christian one time, and he was the laziest employee I ever hired. He stole from the business. He lost his temper. He, he lied. He cheated. But then he turned around and talked about the Lord. Hey, what a terrible testimony. What a terrible testimony. Christians ought to be the hardest working. They ought to be the most loyal, the most honest. They ought to be the ones that go the extra mile. This is how we reach the unsaved, by being ambassadors for our Savior. Someone once wisely said, you may be the only Bible that someone else ever reads. Hey, hey church, let's represent God and His Word tastefully. Let's not let our good be evil spoken of. Jesus is going to rapture His church Will it be in our lifetime? <laughs> I've been giving my opinion all morning. I'm going to give it out right now. I think, he, I think He's coming back in our lifetime. Amen? I really do. I think He's coming back very soon. The Apostle Paul thought the same thing. So we don't know, but I sure, I sure think He is. I sure hope He is. The reality is He may even come today. For those of you who have not put your faith in Christ alone to save you, what are you waiting for? Don't get left behind. To those of you who are saved and ready for the rapture, let's be busy doing three things out of 1 Thessalonians 4. Let's be busy living a lifestyle of holiness. Let's be busy loving the brethren. And let's be busy laboring for the Lord. Amen? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Dear Lord, it's been good to be in church with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, some here today have not yet believed. Some have yet today, to put their full faith and trust in You. My prayer, Lord, is that they do that before it's eternally too late. Lord God, we want to be living and doing our best when You return. We want to be walking humbly before our God. We want to be loving the brethren, living lifestyles of holiness, separated from the world, both outside and inside. Lord God, we want to be busy doing Your work, doing Your labor. We anticipate your return. We're excited for your return. During our time of invitation, Lord, may we make real decisions that, that affect change in our hearts. May we live our life as though you're coming back today. Where we have sinned, may we confess it. May we make some real changes. God, so that if you come back, we can look at you with a smile on our face and not shame in our heart. In Jesus' name we pray.